everyone. Welcome back to Southern Fried Storytime. Today we're going to talk about ogres. Ogres are typically defined as large, humanoid, and often hideous and hairy, and prone to eat humans, especially infants and children, because of course. Much like the entertainment industry, I guess. They uh, often feature in fairy tales and folklore from many different countries. It's one of the widest kind of geographical locations in which there are myths about this particular type of monster, as opposed to a couple that I've covered that are just like specifically in New Jersey or specifically in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. This guy, all over the world. Slight variations, but incredibly, incredibly similar um, attributes and descriptions from all over the world. I myself have talked about ogres in the episodes on Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Momotaro, and The Flea. They're typically much bigger than humans, but smaller than giants, though the line here as far as specifics on size gets a little blurry. In fact, in our Christmas episode, we see giants and ogres within the same family in the story of Grilla and the Yule Lads. The word ogre comes from the name Orcus, or Orc, who was an Etruscan god of the underworld who, you know, wait for it, ate humans. Because that's got to be the connecting feature here, apparently. Ick. This may be related to the naming of orca whales as well. I've, I've seen some sites that say yes, some that say no. But uh, orca whales, part of the definition of their name says like they're from the underworld or something like that. So it's, it's a thought to be that they may be connected as far as naming devices, not so much that orcas are or, are orcs or ogres, <laughs> but but their naming device may come from the same root word as where I was going with that. The or- ogres, I almost said the orca, <laughs> the ogre's body um, type is very similar to those of the yeti, yowie, sasquatch, abominable snowman, and the smaller skunk ape. Were these creatures proven biological species? They may be related like dolphins are to orcas. They're often, but not always, intelligent enough to be capable of human speech. Um, This is kind of contrasting with giants who, outside of Norse mythology, very rarely have any kind of coherent speech pattern, or they'll know maybe just a few words. And so, to be capable of human speech is, is much more common in ogres who very rarely can't communicate easily with humans. In fact, you often see them intermarry. Ogres, in addition to their great size, are often hairy like Sasquatch or have an unusual skin color like Shrek. Final Fantasy X does a good job of depicting um, fiends in their ogre class as being light blue skinned with white fur, dark blue skinned with reddish orangutan like fur, or chartreuse skin with goldish fur, all depending on the creature's name and geographic location. Japanese ogres, or oni, are supposed to have red skin, and I don't mean red like like ethnically red, I mean red like fire engine red, like literally red, and um, often may have kind of silver or black fur. Sometimes their skin will be black instead of red, but again, this is literal black, not ethnic black. We're talking inky black. Um, so it's, they have, they're known to have a very unusual skin tone, I guess is where I'm going with that. But the most common colors worldwide are green or blue as far as ogre skin tone. 
they're, let's see, they have a very similar appearance to humans, uh, which makes its taste for human flesh all the more horrific. In some stories, an ogre may marry a human and even have children. So we're genetically similar enough that their frenzied taste for human flesh seems cannibalistic from a mythical creature humans should be able to relate well with because of their similarities. So this is a creature that's similar enough to us that we should be able to, you know, peacefully live next to each other, except they usually have little to zero control over their desire to eat us, which does put a damper on a relationship. Ogre legends from all over the world suggest that they may descend from one mother story about ogres, especially when some of the countries in question have been very isolated in the past, like Japan. Ogres in some stories are very intelligent and even capable of magic, like the ogress in Rapunzel, but they can also be depicted as mindless muscle heads, smashing and eating everything they touch like the Hulk. This wide variation can even be seen in ogre tales from the same culture. There's a theory out there too that ogres originate in biblical texts. And I'm going to shift my demon position here. Just warning you because I know it makes noise because it moves the speaker. Here we go. In the Bible, angels who would later fall or had fallen came to covet human women. The product of such a union was called a Nephilim. And these were described as giants and great warriors. Giants who appear later in the text, such as Goliath or Og, are thought to be Nephilim or descendants of Nephilim who survived the Great Flood. The existence of these creatures in biblical times could be the inspiration for stories of creatures who are so similar all over the world. This would make the origins of the ogre similar to the Great Flood, which appears in most major religions and cultures worldwide. So, to be fair, I'm not saying that the Great Flood is fictional. I'm just saying that almost every culture has a story about the Great Flood because it descends from the original biblical work. And so, my thought here is maybe these stories of ogres are so similar also because they have been derived either from biblical work or from you know, um, what do they call them? Apocrypha or works surrounding the Bible, but are extra biblical works. In other words, the legend may be that old and it may come from a singular source, which may not be legend. I don't know if there's a real connection, but the idea of a biblical link to ogres and the idea that they may have existed is fascinating to a fairy tale nerd like me. You can call them ogres, orcs, Oni, Yowie, Sasquatch, Yeti, Bashura, Kotos, Wendigo, Gigos, or sorry, Gigas, Gug, Rimthers, Orcas, or even Giants, but the global similarities are startling. One thing we know, given today's culture, people don't like to agree about anything. Like, we want to have our totally opposite opinions about everything and be real divided about everything these days so that we can squabble, I guess. I don't know. It seems like a lot of work and a waste of time to me, but if you've got the energy to blow your time with pointless fights, go ahead. But my point is one thing that all of these cultures seem to be able to agree on is that somewhere in their history, there's been an ogre. This brings us to one of the oldest ogre stories, the story of Little Thumb. Long ago, in a deep forest, there was a woodcutter 
whose wife loved children. Together, they had three sets of twins. All six of them were boys. Finally, she had their last child, a single, tiny boy named Tom, but his family called him Little Thumb. The woodcutter worked hard to support his massive family, but his job was low-paying and physically intense. He came home from work tired and viciously grumpy, and he usually took out his frustration on Little Thumb. Since no one else wanted to draw their father's wrath, no one in the family intervened. Things only got worse when the land was hit by the worst famine in their nation's history. The woodcutter was left unable to support his family at all. His sons were too young to work or even be left alone by their mother. His wife was young enough to bear more children, but if they kept their sons, the family would starve to death together. He heard a woman in town talking about how she and her husband were only surviving because they'd left her nasty little stepchildren, Hansel and Gretel, in the woods. He hated the idea, but his empty stomach made it him think it was their only chance. He discussed it with his wife, and they both hated the idea, but neither saw another chance. The boys' chances were actually better in the woods than at home with them. Reluctantly, they agreed to leave the boys in the woods. Unbeknownst to them, Little Thumb heard the whole plan and silently resolved to save himself and his brothers. After his parents went to bed, he silently snuck into the kitchen. He took part of the last moldy loaf of bread and stashed it in his pocket. It was no surprise when his father took them deep into the woods the next day to help with his work. Little Thumb, leaving a trail of bread crumbs behind them, thought that he had it all figured out. When they wandered so deeply that the boys had lost their way, the woodcutter told them to gather some wood in this clearing while he cut down a tree. Then he vanished into the thick wall of green leaves. Little Thumb thought his plan to get home was wonderfully clever. Surely when they made it home, his parents would regret leaving their boys. But he didn't feel nearly as clever when he realized the birds of the forest had eaten his crumb trail. Seems they were hungry too. As night crawled in around them, Little Thumb climbed the tallest tree he could find to see if he could see anywhere where the boys could take shelter. A faint light in the distance gave him hope that there was a home, maybe even their home, nearby. They trekked through the dark woods, tripping over roots and shuddering at wolf howls, until they found a small house and knocked. A warm-faced lady answered the door, and when the boys asked for shelter, just for that one night, strangely, this caused the woman to cry. She explained that her husband was an ogre, and if he came home, he would eat them. She said she would try to hide them, but they were in more danger here than they were in the woods. When the ogre came home, his wife hid them under the bed and warned them to stay silent or he would eat them. The ogre ate his dinner eagerly, pausing every now and then to sniff at the air like a dog. I smell meat, something fresh and juicy and young. In one swift movement, he was at the bed, pulling the boys out from beneath it. He gruffly demanded that if his wife wanted to live, she had better prepare them for him immediately. To her credit, she stayed calm, and reminded him that the animals she had already killed for dinner tonight would not keep. It was better to keep these little morsels fresh for when his brothers visited tomorrow. The wife took the seven boys to bed in the same room where her seven daughters slept already. 
wearing delicate little golden crowns. With a nightcap on each boy's head, they all piled into one long bed across the room from the little girls and went to sleep. The little ogresses were not yet as eager, or sorry, as evil as their father, but they were already biting young humans to suck their blood. Carefully, very carefully, Little Thumb removed each of the fanged girls' golden crowns and replaced them with the boys' sleeping caps and vice versa. He had barely completed the switch and climbed back into bed when the drunken ogre entered the room. He had decided that the boys would be easier prey while they were sleeping, and as such, he slit every throat beneath every nightcap with no idea that he was slaying his own children. The boys slid open the window and sprinted blindly into the forest. In the morning, when he found the bodies of his girls, the ogre got out his seven-league boots and took off in pursuit. The boys had just found a patch of woods they recognized when they heard the ogre in hot pursuit. They dove into a cave. The ogre had grown fatigued from his search and the taxing magic of the seven-league boots. He fell asleep just outside their cave. Little Thumb stole the boots which shrank to fit him. He sent his brothers home and rushed back to the ogre's house. He told the ogre's wife that bandits had taken the ogre and demanded all of his treasure in exchange for his life. She trusted that her husband must have given him the boots and gave Little Thumb the bag of treasure. Sorry about that. Those dogs, I don't know, man. <laughs> Sorry. Um, let's see. Ah, here we are, the bag of treasure. He took it and went home where his family never struggled again. He used the seven league boots to become the king's messenger. And since they did not exhaust on a person with good intentions, he was never worn out by the seven league boots. Now, remember from Hansel and Gretel, this devastating famine did sweep through Europe, forcing families to abandon or even cannibalize their children to survive. Blaming an ogre for their terrible loss or their terrible choices may have been a coping mechanism. This episode was brought to you by Anchor, Spotify, and Princess Mary. Please like, share, and support the podcast to get a shout out or an episode request. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I can't wait to talk to you again with our next story. Have a good day.